We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast. With your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Baltimore Ravens. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 riders, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I am joined by Luke Jones of WNST.net in Baltimore, where he is a beat writer for the Ravens. In this episode, he talks with us about the Ravens' pass-catching needs, whether they are looking for Joe Flacco's replacement, and how Ozzie Newsome and John Harbaugh are likely to approach the draft in 2018 season. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Luke Jones of WNST.net in Baltimore. You can follow him on Twitter at Baltimore Luke, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the Baltimore Ravens. Luke, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. 
Uh, glad to glad to do it. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a, a good time of year. Uh, free agency is starting to slow down, and uh, now we have the draft to look forward to. And uh, you know, speaking of free agency, I think for the Ravens, the news uh, or, or the main story of free agency has kind of been the uh, the wide receiver position. Mike Wallace is gone. Jerry Macklin is gone. They brought in Michael Crabtree, brought in John Brown. Uh, it looked like at some point they were going to be bringing in Ryan Grant, uh, but that ended up not not working out. As this wide receiver group stands right now, you also have Rashad Perryman in the mix. Uh, what are your thoughts on the group? And maybe do you have an idea of how the team feels about this group? Well, I think if you listen to Ozzie Newsom speak at the Combine back at the beginning of March, he made it very clear that they wanted to change the wide receiver room. Uh, it's no secret, really going back to uh, the, the weeks immediately following Super Bowl 47 when the Ravens give Joe Flacco the big contract, they dump Anquan Bolden over uh, a discrepancy of $2 million on a pay cut, and they haven't really recovered at the wide receiver position since then. They've made some decent moves here and there. I like the Michael Crabtree signing, but you have to acknowledge he's coming off his worst statistical season. Also has had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. So it's not as though they've solved this problem in the big picture. So I still think wide receiver is a position uh, where they really need to address. And on paper, you'd still look at that group of wide receivers and say that's definitely in the bottom third of the NFL. Really, this has been a multi-year problem for this organization with a couple good signings along the way. They got good value out of Steve Smith. Mike Wallace, who just signed with Philadelphia, gave them a nice pick-me-up in the wake of the failed development of Brashad Perriman. But wide receiver has long been the Achilles heel of this organization and the Achilles heel of Ozzie Newsom, who has been a Hall of Fame executive, a two-time Super Bowl winner uh, over the last two decades plus. So I think... They have they have succeeded in changing up the look of their room, but you still look at Crabtree, you still look at John Brown, and there are questions there. Crabtree uh, coming off of a down season. John Brown, lots of promise, had the big year in 2015, but he's been hurt the last couple seasons. So there's still a, a big boom or bust kind of feel to that signing. So I think you have to look at this team in the draft. If they're not looking to take a wide receiver necessarily in the first round, they need to be looking in the second or third round. Cause, and most uh, draft experts will tell you that there isn't necessarily high-end talent at wide receiver in this draft, but that second, third-round territory, there should be some good value. And I, I think the Ravens remain firmly in that camp of needing to add at least one more notable, if not two more notable receivers between now and the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned the possibility that that could come in the draft. Uh, some people have, uh, in recent mock drafts, given them a wide receiver in the first round, either Calvin Ridley or Cortland Sutton. Do you think that the team is willing to invest that much in the position, given that a few years ago they just spent a first-rounder on Brashad Perryman? Well, it comes down to this. And look, you you and I both know the lack of success. Like 2014 aside, uh, first-round first wide receivers. I mean, go back and look at the last three years. Uh, it's really been a lot of dis- disappointment, included, including uh, Brashad Perriman in that list, but it's not just that. My issue with how the organization has proceeded at wide receiver is not that they necessarily busted on Brashad Perriman, but go back and look over their last six drafts. Perriman is the only wide receiver they've taken in the first three rounds of any of those drafts. 
you kind of get what you pay for. I mean, you can't be so hesitant, so reluctant to invest in a first rounder that all you're doing is taking flyers on sixth and seventh round guys. So I think they're going to stay true to their board. They certainly have some other positions of need that they could address, depending on what players are available in the middle of that first round, uh, whether it's Calvin Ridley, whether it's DJ Moore, the, the wide receiver from Maryland, who is really shooting up the charts after uh, playing well at Maryland with not exactly ideal quarterback situations and then testing really well in Indianapolis. You know, there are certainly some individuals who could make sense there in the middle of the first round. Maybe not a lot. You know, Ridley's kind of the, the hot name if there is going to be someone there, but you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them to even look to move back six, seven spots if that opportunity presents itself, and then maybe you're taking one of those other wide receivers. So I, I know the narrative out there, and I think it's just a general narrative as far as first-round receivers. Uh, there, there's a very high bust rate, but at the same time, you, you can't just not do anything because of that. Uh, if you truly want to get better at that position, you got to start investing some, some real resources. And in the draft, the, the Perriman pick aside – you, know, you have to go back to Torrey Smith back in 2011, the second-round pick, for them uh, to even take a, a wide receiver on day two of the draft. That's just, you know, you get what you pay for if you're only investing six- and seventh-round picks in that position. So Joe Flacco, as you mentioned, he has had quite a bit of turnover at the wide receiver position. Uh, he hasn't been at his best in the most recent seasons. Um, maybe, you know, within the organization is there a sense that his struggles have been linked to the fact that he hasn't had a reliable wide receiving unit? I think that's certainly a big part of it. I mean, I, I am not a Joe Flacco apologist by any stretch of the imagination, and certainly he needs to play better, and there's no doubt that there's been a statistical decline. I'll also remind people he had the torn ACL a couple years ago and missed all of training camp last year with a back issue that really I think he was healthy enough to play but certainly was not in midseason form the way he needed to be. Uh, but there are question marks, and I think for me, where they are, where this organization is at this point in time with a quarterback who's 33, uh, with a head coach who is entering his 11th season, and you would think, barring something really strange, is kind of in that playoffs or bust mode. Uh, they're, they're all, you know, Steve Bashotti even acknowledged at the end of the season he considered at least uh, replacing John Harbaugh and ultimately decided to hold on to him. They're at a crossroads. So they need to see Joe Flacco get back to where he was in, say, 2014, uh, where he had one of his best statistical seasons. If he can look more like that guy, I think they're content with going down the road with him a couple more years. But if it's much of the same where he's near the bottom of the league in yards per attempt and just not being productive and they do make some more moves at wide receiver to improve the talent around him, then I think you're much more looking at the possibility of them next year drafting a quarterback. And you know the way his cap number, the uh, way his contract is structured, they could conceivably make him a post-June first cut next year. Uh, but you know, they're still, you know, they're basically committed to him for at least this year, probably next year. And then you get into that territory where you can move on. So, you know, it's a, Answer your question uh, in a more condensed way. There are a lot of variables at work here, some of it being his play, and I think they've acknowledged that they haven't done a good enough job building around him. Understanding is the big contract, but like I said, the commitment hasn't been there in the draft either. And once you talent, that's where you find it. 
Yeah, let's let's stay with with Joe Flacco because there's it's such an interesting situation. There's a lot there. As you mentioned, he's 33 years old. Uh, it was just 10 years ago that he was selected in the first round out of Delaware. Uh, do you think the team is looking more concretely at the possibility of drafting a long-term replacement this year? Uh, you know, it, it's been a really interesting topic of conversation here in Baltimore. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, who uh, of course works for NFL Network, was a former Raven scout years ago. So that leads you to believe he's got some pretty good sources within the organization. Uh, in one of his recent mock drafts, he actually had the Ravens taking Baker Mayfield, uh, 16th overall, which I'm really skeptical he's going to even be there. But it does speak to the debate of do you look for your quarterback of the future? But I still tend to fall in the camp of because you have a head coach who isn't a lame duck, but certainly is on the hot seat uh, because you have Ozzie Newsom, who's going to be stepping down and Eric DaCosta is going to be a new general manager next year. Uh, and because you're still in that territory where at least this year and next year, your, your hands are going to be tied from a cap standpoint uh, that, I'm not sure it's in their best interest to try to find that guy right now. Now, if, if they had a top five pick this year, then certainly you make that argument a much more, uh, a much more compelling argument. But I think of what my gut tells me and the way that their owner, Steve Bashotti spoke uh, in early February, I'm guessing they're looking more so in that maybe the third round, but I'm guessing more early on day three of the draft, you know, look at that, maybe that fourth round territory to look for some value there, uh, and they're looking. To me, the goal is to upgrade backup quarterback from Ryan Mallett the last couple of years, who you know, played in the preseason last year when Flacco was out and made it pretty obvious that you don't have confidence in him winning games for you uh, if your starter goes down. So to me, if you can try to find a, a, an improved, up, you know, an upgrade at the backup quarterback spot, and then if you get lucky, Maybe you find this year's Dak Prescott or this year's Russell Wilson, you know, that, that middle of the draft kind of a quarterback who really surprises. And if he ends up being the heir apparent and you cut Joe Flacco a year or two from now and that's your guy, then great. But at the very least, I think you need to, you need to, you do need to be looking at that position because Flacco isn't getting any younger and because he has had some, some, some physical concerns the last few years where you need to do better than Ryan Mallett and see if you can find that quarterback that maybe you have a second-round grade on and you get them in the fourth round, then, well, you've at least upgraded the backup spot and you at least have a backup who has some upside for the future. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. 
This might sound like a random question, but given that the team has their quarterback, how closely are they actually evaluating, let's say, the, the top four, top five quarterbacks in this class? Well, you know, I, I think you have to do your due diligence. I, I don't think it's a case where they're staying up at night to the point where they're evaluating those top four. Because, uh, I mean, you know some of the trades and some of the maneuvering that we've already seen uh, in the top ten. I'm going to be surprised if someone like even Baker Mayfield uh, is going to be there in the middle of the first round. So I think they're probably doing more. Uh, they're doing their due diligence a, a little bit more than they have in recent years where it hasn't even been something that's uh, been a thought, really. Uh, but I, I think they uh, – Bashadi, uh, back in early February, his quote was, they have bigger fish to fry. And I think when you look at this team, they haven't been bad – you know, they were 9-7 this past year. They were 8-8 eight eight the year before that. They had a slew of injuries in training camp and early in the season this past year that really put them behind the eight ball. I think they, they believe that they're not that far away if they can find a playmaker or two on offense, which the problem is that's kind of been the narrative for the Ravens the last three or four years. But uh, I think they're doing more homework on quarterback, but I don't think they're necessarily – obsessing over what Sam Darnold and Josh Allen are doing. Because uh, realistically speaking, they don't have the draft capital or they're, and they're certainly not in a position to think it's realistic that they're going to come away with one of those guys. Like I said, maybe there's some scenario where there's Baker Mayfield or maybe they really, really love Lamar Jackson. But uh, I'm just I'm not I, – I don't think quarterback is their top priority as far as what they're evaluating right now. Sure. You had mentioned uh, injuries that they uh, they endured last year, and one of them, uh, a big one, Marshall Yonda, uh, right guard, uh, you know, one of the best guards in the league. Uh, do you have any sense of how he is progressing in his recovery, and uh, do you think that the team is looking to make some sort of investment in the offensive line, like a significant investment in the line during the draft? Well, the, the latest on Marshall Yonda came from John Harbaugh at the very end of the season, and, and he made it clear that he's progressing well. He'll be ready before training camp, but they're probably going to keep him out until training camp, and that's that's not anything new with him. He's had some off-season procedures in the past where they've taken it really slow with him. Uh, I think they still feel confident in him, and you know, typically accomplished guards can play well into their mid-30s. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's the norm, but there's there's quite a, a track record of guys being able to do that. So I think they feel pretty good about the guard position at this point. Uh, but the two co- positions on the offensive line that are now question marks, uh, they decided not to renew their option on right tackle Austin Howard, who wasn't great last year, but was solid. And they don't have a slam dunk uh, incumbent replacement. They have a couple guys that are candidates, but no one that's proven. And then the other position that they lost, uh, Ryan Jensen, they're, they're first-year starting center who had developed and developed and developed over the last four four to five years, he ends up becoming the highest-paid center in the NFL, uh, signing a deal with Tampa Bay. So I'm, my guess is they're going to slide Matt Skura, who was Yonda's replacement this year at right guard, over to center. But again, that's another question mark. So if you're looking at a position where I could very easily see them go that's not wide receiver uh, in the first round, I think it could be the offensive line if the right guy's there, and that's where there is some question. You know, you know the story on offensive linemen and offensive tackles in the NFL and coming out of the draft. It's been a very mixed bag with so many of these spread formation college offenses where uh, these offensive linemen just aren't learning the t- techniques they need to play in the NFL. But if there's a Mike McGlinchey, uh, Connor Williams, 
guys that they like, and I'm not saying they, those are necessarily the guys they love because they don't broadcast that, but if there's that kind of a player available at 16, and let's say Calvin Ridley has already come off the board, I wouldn't be shocked to see that because, uh, right, like I said, right tackle and center, which I, you know, I don't think there's a starting center that's going to be available, at, you know, is going to be justified taking at 16th. But it, those are the two positions they're looking to. And, uh, you know, as much as they dealt with injuries on the offensive line, they've had some attrition here uh, with losing one in free agency and deciding to let go of another one to save some cap space. So uh, the offensive line, uh, another question over the last few years, feel like it's kind of a broken record uh, with this team's offense. Uh, that's certainly a position they could address in the draft as well. All right, let's look at the the running backs. There's really been a rotation at that position over the last few years. In 2014, you had Justin Forsett with a late career breakout. In 2015, near the end of the season, Javorius Allen looked pretty impressive. 2016, you had Terrence West with over 1,000 scrimmage yards. And then last year, Alex Collins had 1,000 scrimmage yards. Uh, despite you know being cut by the Seahawks and then spending a portion of the season on the practice squad, Collins is with the team returning as an exclusive rights free agent. Allen is still there, a very capable pass catching back. And then Kenneth Dixon is returning from injury. How do you think this backfield is going to shake out? You know, I, I think we're at this point, I mean, Alex Collins performed so well last year that it, it has to be his job to lose. I think those other individuals could be involved. I like Buck Allen, but to me, he's kind of just a guy as a backup. I think he's fine uh, as a backup. Do I think you're getting great value for him? No. I mean, take a look at his numbers last year. He had a lot of catches, but his yards per catch, uh, he, he's not someone who's breaking a lot of tackles. So if there's one thing I think they could look to do in their backfield, it's perhaps maybe later in the draft finding a a kind of running back that can catch passes out of the backfield, kind of that Danny Woodhead role that they had last year, except Woodhead couldn't stay healthy and wasn't you know, cl- pretty clearly wasn't the same guy as he just retired uh, over the last several days. But I-, I think Collins is going to be the bell cow. I think Dixon is the wild card here. If he can come back and one, he's coming off of a torn meniscus and season ending surgery that he had in late July Two, he's had two drug related suspensions uh, in-, in the NFL. So, there's a lot of questions about him, not just from a health standpoint, but a commitment standpoint. But I think anyone who watched him play in college, anyone who saw him play and come on late in his rookie season, you know he can play. Uh, I think he can certainly be a, a factor and a nice change of pace from Collins. But at this point, uh, I feel pretty good about Collins being the guy. Uh, but if there's one thing they could add, and again, it kind of just goes back to this narrative, wide receiver, tight end. They're looking for pass catchers. They're looking for playmakers uh, when – that Joe Flacco can get the ball to in space. If there's one thing they could look to, you know, that I, I could see uh, maybe early day three, if there's a running back that they like uh, as far as a pass catcher, that's something they could add. But you know, if you're looking for fantasy purposes, let's say uh, Alex Collins would be the one I'd point to because uh, had very came very close to a thousand yards, and like you said, uh, started the year on the practice squad and, and really didn't become the quote feature back until about week six or seven. You mentioned their tight end and the position uh, being one of need for the team. Ben Watson is a free agent. Uh, the team has a number of projects at the position, including former second rounder, Max Williams. How does the team feel about the tight end unit? 
Well, to me, because they've gotten Crabtree and because John Brown does, does have some upside, I look at tight end now as maybe not their biggest need, but you know, wide receiver and tight end, one, one and one A, at, at least in terms of skilled players. They need a, a tight end who can make plays. Nick Boyle's a good blocker, so he'll catch, he'll catch the ball if, if, he, you know, if there isn't tight coverage and it's thrown right to him. But you know, Max Williams has been a disappointment. You know, Darren Waller's been a guy that was a project for them a couple years ago, a converted wide receiver, but uh, he got suspended for the entire 2017 season because of marijuana. So they really don't have that wide receiver that you can point to and say, yeah, that's a guy you can count on in the red zone. That's a guy that can make some plays down the seam. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to address that position because I'm really not high on the likes of Mercedes Lewis and some of the wide or some of the free agent tight ends that are still on the market. I don't think there are any difference makers there. And as you know, even if you'd love tight ends in the draft, and uh, I'll be the first to admit, Mike Mike is someone I watched a lot playing at Penn State, and you know had big numbers his last two years. His testing was through the roof at the combine, but even go back, look at some of the great tight ends of the last 25 years. They didn't do much a rookie season. So I think tight end is absolutely a priority for them. I don't think there's a, a, you know, a clear cut first round tight end, but in that second round, whether it's a Dallas Goder, Mike Kosicki, as I mentioned, you know, there's some intriguing names. I think they're going to, they're really going to be looking on the first two. I've said this for a while now, and I've written this uh, for a while now. If they conclude the first two days of the draft and they don't have at least one wide receiver and you'd like to have one of each, but if you don't have at least one of those two, I think there's going to be some really, really serious concern. But again, I think tight end is just going to be a question mark for them because even if they draft a rookie, how much can you really count on them? So that's another position. Uh, you, can, you can sense a theme here. There's a lot of work to do with their offense, needless to say. Uh, but uh, tight end is certainly another position they need to look to because yeah, they, they've 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 really talked up all these different guys that they've had and Crockett Gilmore was previously in that group and obviously Dennis Pitta was in that group before uh, suffering his you know kind of his career ending final hip injury but you know, it's really been a lot of inventory but can't say it's been a lot of depth because uh, they've had the quantity but there hasn't been enough quality there in that group. As you mentioned, it, it takes tight ends uh, a few years really to develop into contributing NFL players. Uh, and so regardless of what they do at that position, uh, it, it might not be something that is fixed this year, but that, that, you know, that makes me think of something earlier you mentioned. This is Ozzie Newsom's last year as general manager. Uh, Harbaugh is kind of in a position where uh, he's sort of year to year. If they don't make the playoffs, it's not good for him. I'm wondering about the decision-making that uh, that dynamic might have on the organization? Does it seem as if they are still looking long-term with the decisions that they make? Or do you think the position of the guys now who are in charge, that could impact what they do in the draft uh, where they might have a shorter-term vision than they otherwise would? I think that's a really interesting question. I would tend to think maybe not as much as you'd think because Eric DaCosta, who is going to be their general manager beginning in, in 2019, has been with the organization since its inception. But from the time that the Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens in 1996, Eric DaCosta was you know, one of those 2020 scouts. You know, uh, there was 
you know, personnel assistant uh, that uh, was hired at that point, and he just steadily climbed up the ladder. So he and Ozzy have a really good relationship. I am sure Ozzy Newsome, for as great as he's been for a long, long time and has been a Hall of Fame caliber executive in addition to being a Hall of Fame tight end for Cleveland uh, so many years ago, I'm sure there, he'd love nothing more than to finally get that monkey off his back as far as finding a, a, a long-term solution at wide receiver. But at the same time, Ozzy's disciplined enough that he's going to stay true to his board and fans aren't always going to like that uh, because there have been some drafts in recent years where they've ended up still taking a lot of defensive players, even though they, they needed offense. So I think there's a little more urgency there. I think, you know, there's certainly an argument to be made and I've even, you know, I've opined about this in radio conversations and written about it maybe a little bit here and there, but they didn't have a great cap situation this year. You could make an argument that, Maybe they would have been in a position, having missed the playoffs three straight years, not having a whole lot of cap space, of maybe them rebooting a little bit. I'm not saying you tear it down entirely, but maybe make an effort to get considerably younger and try to clear up some cap space. But because you do have John Harbaugh and a coaching staff who are coaching for their jobs, I think it's fair to say that at this point. And because you do have a general manager who is going to be stepping aside, he's still going to be involved. Uh, in the organization, but clearly not going to be the guy anymore. Uh, there probably is a, a little more uh, urgency to try to make one last run uh, for Ozzy's sake, so to speak. At the same time, there's enough continuity in place here that it's not going to be a radical change. So I think, you know, to, to answer your question, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. There might be a, a sense of being a little more bold than they would be normally. At the same time, I don't think they're going to do anything crazy. And to this point in the offseason, they haven't done anything that really is crazy, other than maybe if you consider giving Ryan Grant a four-year, $29 million contract, and then he fails his physical, which clearly earned them plenty of scrutiny. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I'm intrigued by that. The the timing of it, I'm not going to say is suspicious, but was uh, convenient or uh, maybe conveniently curious or curiously convenient. But how uh, how do you think that might impact their ability in the future to attract free agents? Well, it's never – make this very clear. It's never a good look when this happens, even if it's completely founded to be legitimate, even if you're acting with pure intentions and full integrity – it's still a bad look and it's still something that you don't want to see happen because any agent that's representing a free agent, any potential free agent in the future, if there's any question whatsoever, even if it's something as simple as a player had his knee scoped late uh, in the previous season or, or had his knee scoped early in, earlier in the off season, there's going to be a sense of, well, they failed that guy on his physical. Are we concerned there? So the timing of it, there's certainly going to be scrutiny there. And I think that's, they've, fairly face some scrutiny there. Uh, the one thing I will say, because a lot of people have said, well, they, they failed his physical after they found out Michael Crabtree became available. They didn't know they were going to get Michael Crabtree. I mean, he, they had a day-long negotiation to get it done. I mean, it wasn't something where he signed uh, an hour after they reached out to him. So I think the truth falls somewhere in the middle. Any medical expert would tell you that physicals for players there's a lot of subjectivity in there. Doctors do not agree. Doctors have lots of disagreements. And there are issues where there's something like a heart condition or 
a spinal condition. Like, for example, uh, the Ravens linebacker Zach Orr, who had to retire last year because they discovered a congenital spinal condition. There are conditions like that where, yeah, they're going to fail physical across the board. But then there are other conditions, whether it's an ankle, you know, a degenerative knee, a shoulder issue, where it's a little more subjective. Do I think the Ravens potentially saw an issue with his ankle and then kind of said, I don't know if we want to commit this much money to this guy? Yeah, I think there could have been some thinking in there. Do I think this was purely a case of Michael Crabtree came available and then they just said, well, sorry, kid, we're going to screw you over. I don't think it, came, it played out like that. As far as the long-term ramifications that you mentioned, which is something that I've discussed, I think they have a long enough track record in Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta have a good enough reputation around the league that they'll get the benefit of the doubt. That said, if you have another player that you fail on a physical a year or two from now or then, I think there's much more scrutiny, and then I think that can become a problem. But regardless of how pure, how legitimate, uh, it was. It's certainly a bad look, and you just feel for Ryan Grant because uh, very clearly he didn't get this nearly the same kind of compensation signing with Indianapolis this past week. You mentioned earlier that at times the uh, even though the offense has needed players, the team has invested uh, through the draft in the defense, and and the defense for years has really been what the Ravens uh, have been known for. Um, I'm curious, I mean, it's an aging unit, but it was still fantastic last year. It led the league in turnovers forced. It uh, allowed the sixth fewest points in the league. Uh, but, but looking at the unit, is there a, a position that you think is clearly the, the one that is uh, the weak link and needs to be addressed in the draft? Well, I think you could certainly look at inside linebacker, that spot next to C.J. Mosley. They had a, a former rookie a former rookie free agent, Patrick Owasso, only in his second year, uh, ended up being their starting weak side inside linebacker. Uh, clearly not someone that uh, you view as a long-term solution, although uh, he could certainly improve, and, and that's not something unheard of. But you look at that, uh, I, I don't think there's a major pressing immediate need, but like you said, it's not as though they don't have a lot of young players they actually have a lot of youth, but it's just a question of how proven some of that youth is. They drafted Tyus Bowser in the second round last year as a guy that they view as you know, an outside linebacker of the future. Well, Terrell Suggs played so well, Tyus Bowser's not going to get on the field, and that's what ended up happening. But you're always looking at those positions where you know, uh, th- those guys that are in the secondary, those guys that can get after the quarterback. I still think Edge Rusher, even though Matt Judon, uh, in his second year, really came on and, and gave them some pass rush ability. You're always looking to see uh, if you can find a dynamic pass rusher. Like I said, they have some young guys on their roster that they're really looking to try to pop as they get into their second and third year and, frankly, need those guys to pop because, as you mentioned, Terrell Suggs not getting any younger. Uh, you know, another spot that, again, big picture, you know, Eric Weddle's getting pretty long in the tooth, uh, you know, made the Pro Bowl this year, this past year. I thought he had a good year. I don't think he had a great year. I don't think he was the best safe, free safety in the AFC by any stretch of the imagination. So that's a spot you could look to. But as you know, I mean, it, to find those ball-hawking, ball rangy, free safeties, typically those are guys you need to get early in the draft. Yeah, you're rarely going to find that much of a diamond in the rough. So they don't have immediate big-time need on the defensive side of the ball. They actually have some really good depth at corner. 
uh, for the first time, maybe in, at least in a very long time. Uh, but, you know, they, they clearly they're, they're counting on a couple individuals who are getting up there in age. And uh, you know, how much longer can you expect Terrell Suggs to be playing at a Pro Bowl level? Same with Eric Weddle. I think it's very fair. So, you know, there, there's certainly some spots they could look to add uh, in the draft. But, you know, unless you're finding a special player that falls to you, you know, let's say Roquan Smith would fall to them in the middle of the first round, which I don't think that's going to happen. Sure, I think they would. He'd be someone they would feel really good about turning their card in. Uh, but uh, again, I think it's very clear offense is uh, the side of the ball that they're really trying to address in this draft. If the board sets up the way they want it to. All right, Luke. This has been a lot of fun. One last question here, based on anything that you've seen out of some of the draft prospects or things that you've heard, uh, just kind of you know from people in the building with the Ravens organization or just kind of in the area. Are there any? Any players, any particular players who stand out as someone that you could really see the Ravens liking, someone uh, who just seems like a Ravens type of player? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be guys that they like. I mean, I'll be the first to say they don't they don't give up very much information, and a lot of the information they give up probably isn't true. <laughs> so, but you know, I, I've talked a lot about wide receiver. I do think DJ Moore from Maryland, obviously a kid uh, close by. Uh, who they had a chance to watch a lot. Uh, I don't think necessarily him at 16, but I could see a scenario where they trade back, uh, maybe move back five, six spots uh, with another team. Uh, I could see him there. I mean, Calvin Ridley's an Alabama guy. Ozzie Newsom uh, uh, went to Alabama, has drafted a slew of Alabama players over the years. So that's clearly someone that I wouldn't be shocked at all. But you know, as far as, I mean, I mentioned Roquan Smith. I, I think he's someone that really fits the profile of what they'd love to have at linebacker next to C.J. Mosley. Um, but you know, as far as, you know, I mean, you know the names, and they're not going to be, you know, they don't broadcast that information. In fact, about two weeks from now, they do their pre-draft a luncheon and press conference with the local media, and we uh, tease, teasingly call that the Liars Luncheon because, uh, we don't expect them to tell us anything of, of real substance about their draft. <laughs> All right, uh, Luke, this was fantastic. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us, and we hope to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. We just finished speaking with Luke Jones, a Ravens beat writer for WNST.net in Baltimore. We covered a lot. Here are some of the, uh, I guess, takeaways from the conversation that we had. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about wide receivers and tight ends. There is a lot of pass-catching need with the Baltimore Ravens. They have failed, as Luke mentioned, to invest heavily uh, in the position, with the exception of Brashad Perryman, uh, who was drafted in the first round a few years ago. They really have not invested a top 100 pick into the position since Torrey Smith, uh, who hasn't been with the team for years now. Uh, so there is, I think, a pretty pressing need to get uh, either a wide receiver or a tight end uh, with one of their first two picks. Um, specifically with that 16th pick, in the most recent draft uh, mock draft that I've done at Fantasy Labs, uh, I gave them Cortland Sutton. Um it's possible that Calvin Ridley could be there at 16. And uh, if he's there, I understand why the team would take him. Uh, there is that Alabama connection that Luke mentioned. 
uh, with Ozzie Newsom, but um, I, you know, I don't know. Calvin Ridley at this point, his draft stock has declined because of his subpar performance at the combine. But at the same time, I think his combine performance has been somewhat overblown. Um, I know that uh, Spark, you know, all around athleticism is enticing to look at. Um, but athleticism as a whole is uh, somewhat overvalued at the wide receiver position. That's not to say that it's not important, but that uh, the, the timed measured athleticism that we, we normally get from the combine or pro days, those numbers tend to be overvalued. And uh, one thing to keep in mind is that Calvin Ridley actually, just in terms of his 40, uh, his 40 mark, his, uh, his three cone time, and also his bench press, which I don't think is all that important, but it's something that people kind of talk about. Um, those numbers were, were all still above average. So even though in terms of his total spark athleticism, he looks like a below average athlete. And some of the numbers that actually matter more, he was still above average at those marks. Uh, he's undersized to just 189 pounds. Um, but you know, Antonio Brown is one of the best receivers in the league and he's 180 pounds. We see guys who, uh, as long as they are smooth route runners, and that is, you know, the reputation that Calvin Ridley has, uh, people have noted his ability to separate. Um, as long as a guy has that ability, uh, even if he's just, you know, slightly below average in terms of size, uh, he's still able to succeed. So, you know, for the people who are hopeful with Calvin Ridley, I'm not one of those people, but for the people who are hopeful with him, uh, that would be the reason. And I could see why the team would draft him at 16th overall, because they do have a need at the position. I think Cortland Sutton is the top receiver in the draft. I think he would make a lot of sense for them. He's very much a Anquan Bolden type of player, except he has much better timed athleticism. I had multiple years of production at SMU He's someone that I think would fit in really well. And uh, it, it's interesting. One of the players that I think he is uh, is comparable to in a way is Michael Crabtree as a, um, a, a multi-year producer coming from a spread type of offense uh, who has above average size. Uh, but unlike Crabtree, he also has above average athleticism. So I think there is the possibility that he could be Crabtree plus as a player. Um, and I think Crabtree is a, a pretty decent professional. That could be someone good for him to learn from. Uh, and then as Luke mentioned, DJ Moore, he's someone who would be really intriguing there. Uh, not to say that the team needs to, you know, dip into the, the Maryland well, uh, twice, you know, given that, uh, Torrey Smith was the last really viable, uh, well, let me rephrase that because Stefan Diggs, but the, the last, you know, a sort of like top tier, type of wide receiver prospect going through the draft, someone who looked like he would be drafted with a, a round one, a round two pick. Uh, Torrey Smith was the last of those guys. DJ Moore uh, could fit in really well. I think he's a, it's really hard to come up with a, a comparable player for DJ Moore just because of his size uh, and his, his combination of size with athletic uh, measurements. Uh, so what we normally see is that a guy with that size, that stocky type of build normally is not as fast. So uh, you could say that DJ Moore, just in terms of his production and his size, is uh, sort of like Hakeem Nicks, but with Percy Harvin type of athleticism, which might sound like a, a weird comp, but that's sort of what he has. Um, he could be a very strong all-around uh, receiver for that team. 
Uh, it might be at 16 a little bit too early to take him, but as Luke mentioned, uh, there could be the possibility of the team trading down, maybe acquiring more picks, uh, and uh, still having the ability to get a guy who really might be the top wide receiver in the class. Uh, at my wide receiver rankings right now at Fantasy Labs, I have DJ Moore number two just behind Cortland Sutton. Um, I wouldn't really argue all that much if someone wanted to have more above Sutton. Uh, I believe in Anthony Amico's rankings on the site uh, in his wide receiver model, he does have more above Sutton, uh, and I I can understand it. Uh, One of the reasons why I prefer Sutton is because he is bigger, uh, not quite as athletic, but still uh, a very good all-around athlete, especially with excellent size-adjusted agility uh, and good enough speed for his size. Uh, but really what distinguishes Sutton for me is that he has multiple years of high-end production, uh, whereas Moore, he's not just a, a one-year guy, uh, but he didn't have top-end production for multiple years. Really, we just saw the top-end production in his final season, so that's one of the reasons why I prefer Sutton. But I think one way or another, uh, the team has to do something with the wide receiver position. Uh, if not in the first round, maybe in the second, maybe in the third, they also need a tight end. Man, did they need a tight end. And uh, Gesicki is someone who would fit in really well there. Dallas Goddard, uh, I think at the 16th overall pick, it's probably too high for any of the tight ends in this class, but there will be someone really intriguing in the second round who is available. Uh, Maybe Gesicki, maybe Goddard, maybe Mark Andrews from Oklahoma, who was one of the most productive tight ends in the country last year, uh, you know, won, won the receiving award for best all-around tight end. So, uh, you know, in some capacity, this team really needs to invest uh, in those two positions because they have to give Joe Flacco a chance, whether that's this year or next year. And and I think it's here's the opportunity to transition into Flacco. Um, although Luke says that the team isn't, isn't actively looking for quarterbacks, I think they probably should be. Flacco has been with the team for 10 years now. Um, he's been competent at times. You know, he helped them win a Super Bowl. He got hot, had a fantastic run in the playoffs, you know, at this point, like five and a half years ago. Uh, and he's been riding that championship wave ever since. And, you know, good for him. There aren't all that many quarterbacks who win Super Bowls. But uh, I wouldn't bet on him winning another one for this team. Uh, And even if it happens, I don't think he will be the reason why they win. Uh, I think now is the time. This is a pretty decent quarterback class. I think now is the time to look for a quarterback. And, uh, you know, I know I just said the team needs to be looking at wide receiver uh, with that number 16 pick. But, you know, Lamar Jackson is going to be there uh, at pick 16, I would imagine. And... Oh, man, uh, I don't think Joe Flacco is the long-term guy anymore. If the Ravens have an interest in Lamar Jackson, I, I think it would be really intriguing uh, if he went number 16 overall. Uh, he could be on the bench for a couple of years. It would be a very, it, it would be a long-term move. Um, I, I think Jackson in another class could have been a, a top five pick, but this class at the top does have a lot of quarterbacking talent. Uh, you have three guys who are all 21 years old. And just kind of as a frame of reference, quarterbacks who uh, have been 21 as rookies uh, for the, you know, 21 for the entirety 
of their rookie season while they've been playing. You know, for the last 25 years, those guys have been selected number one overall, with the exception of, um, I, I guess I'm not going to be able to remember his name, but the, the guy who played for uh, for Tampa Bay for a number of years and then fell out of the league. Um, his name will come to me later. But with the exception of that guy whose name I can't remember, uh, you've had guys like Matt Stafford, uh, you've had Jameis Winston, you've had Michael Vick, you know, guys who have gone number one overall and have had pretty decent careers uh, in the league so far. And I think Lamar Jackson, in another season, he could have been one of those guys. It's just a pretty good quarterback class. But I think if the team has the the capacity to draft you know, with the 16th pick, a guy who in any other season might have been a top five pick, and someone who's maybe a developmental prospect, uh, you know, maybe you don't feel comfortable with the idea of starting Lamar Jackson right away. That's fine. He can sit behind Joe Flacco for a year, for two years. That's fine. I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense with this organization because we have seen them do something kind of like this before with Tyrod Taylor. And it's not that I'm saying Lamar Jackson is Tyrod Taylor. I think he's much better than Tyrod Taylor. But Taylor has turned into a legitimate starting NFL quarterback, even though he wasn't drafted with the idea of being that type of player. He was fantastically fast at his combine, the the fastest quarterback whenever he entered the draft. Uh, And people were talking about maybe he needs to be a wide receiver. Um, The Ravens drafted him. They developed him on the bench. He was there for four years. He didn't have any playing time. He signed with the Bills, and immediately he was a starter for them. Right, like This team has actually shown the capability of developing someone very much like Lamar Jackson, except less talented, and turning him into a guy who is a legitimate NFL player. Uh, why wouldn't they do that with Jackson? You know, like if they could, if they could go back in time, have a better Tyrod Taylor and develop him and then replace Joe Flacco with that guy, why wouldn't they do that? So it, it seems like they might have the ability to do that now. The thing is, that is a long-term move. And given that Harbaugh is in a position where he needs to make the playoffs and Ozzie Newsome is in his final season uh, as the general manager, uh, who knows if they are really in the mindset of making long-term moves like that. Um, because having Lamar Jackson sitting on the bench is not going to help the team win this year. Um, but I think they need to do long-term moves. I mean, I think every organization needs to focus more on the long-term and less on the short-term. Um, as it is, I don't think, I think it makes sense to focus on the short-term if you are an organization like the Patriots, where you have an established quarterback who can win a Super Bowl, but you have you know, maybe only one to three years with that guy. When you are in that situation, I think I think it makes sense to, for instance, trade your first round pick for someone like Brandon Cooks, who can immediately make your team better, especially when, like the Patriots, you know that you're just, for some reason, you're not good at bringing wide receivers in and developing them, right? They just, they haven't been able to do that for decades. Uh, so, in rare instances, it might make sense for a team to be short-sighted, very, like, focused, uh, intensely focused on your championship window. The Ravens don't have a championship window. 
you know, I know they are one of the few teams in the last, you know, eight years to win a Super Bowl, but that was a half decade ago. And they literally are a 500 team since then. Like that is the definition of average. Like that's the definition of middling, right? They are a middling team since they won the Super Bowl. And the core group that won the Super Bowl, that's no really longer in place. Uh, The defense is good, but it's aging. I mean, the last half decade, it's been something of a letdown. The the team has only one losing season in that time period. Um, But they've been to the playoffs only once, right? They might be good enough to get to the playoffs if they make some short-term moves that seem like the right ones. Uh, but that ultimately costs them over the long run. They might be good enough to make the playoffs, but they're not good enough, even with those moves, to win a Super Bowl. And then they especially won't be good enough a half decade from now to win the Super Bowl if they're more focused on the short term as opposed to the long term. So it's this it's a situation where they always need to focus on value. Um, I mean, obviously, every organization needs to focus on that. Um, but they need to be focused on value uh, in a long-term way that maximizes their ability to win championships in the future as opposed to make the playoffs now. Uh, And again, with Harbaugh in this kind of, I don't want to say like lame duck status, but uh, in this position of being a guy who needs to make the playoffs or he's going to lose his job. And Newsom is a guy who is in the last year uh, and, you know, maybe looking to to build a legacy to kind of, you know, go off uh, on a high note um, with uh, with the team you know, making the playoffs. I mean, it's kind of sad that that is maybe the thinking of what a high note actually would be at this point in Baltimore. But um, given the position that those guys are in, they might be more focused on the short term and the long term that potentially could end up hurting the team. So that's going to do it for this Ravens-focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz in the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colin Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email, roadofhisradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. 
Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.